Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Laura Jost with the American Journal of Managed Care, and today I'm talking with Dr. Martin McCary, a professor of surgery at Johns Hopkins University, about hospital price markups. He is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Unaccountable, which has been turned into the TV show, The Resident. In a new letter published in the February issue of AJMC, Dr. McCary and his co-authors assessed price markup variation by hospital and by oncology specialty to better understand the financial hardships patients can face when charges for the same service vary widely across hospitals. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. McCary. If you could just explain what are price markups and how well do patients understand what they are? The question of what is the markup on a hospital bill has been one that's puzzled a lot of patients and policymakers because how do you know the actual true cost of a service? Many times a hospital has a tough time discerning what their actual cost of a service is. But since we know that many hospitals and many doctors will gladly accept Medicare patients, I think it's reasonable to assume that the, their actual true cost is somewhere around the Medicare allowable amount. Otherwise, they just wouldn't accept Medicare patients. So if we use that basis, and the reality is we think the cost is probably below that since they find Medicare profitable, the question is how much higher are the medical bills? And is that wrong if a bill is inflated above the Medicare markup? We would argue that it's not wrong for a hospital, hospital to mark up a bill or to charge two or three times what Medicare um, will pay. But what we found in the marketplace was something that was very disturbing, and that is that the markups were highly variable and that sometimes the markups were five or tenfold what Medicare would pay, and there was almost no rhyme or reason. And the reason this is a problem in healthcare is that if you or I, Laura, gets one of these bills, we know the back channels to fight it. But if a person at a very vulnerable time in their life, like a cancer patient, gets one of these bills, um, they may not know that it represents a significant markup. And on an ethical uh, level, we need to ask the question, is it morally right to chase down a patient for five or 10 times what any payer would pay for the same bill. And that was really the question that that we um, uh, faced when we saw this data. And in the letter in AJMC's uh, February issue, you were analyzing the markup ratio, that being the charge bill divided by the Medicare allowable amount among hospitals by oncology specialties. So could you just go over some of the key findings from that specific analysis? Sure. We found that the markup was um, consistently high across many different specialties. The markup on average was about three to four fold. We found several uh, medical centers where the markup was over five fold. As a matter of fact, over 25% of medical centers had a markup more than five times the Medicare allowable amount. Uh, And then we found medical centers that had a markup of 15 times what the Medicare allowable amount was. Overall, when you look at this data, it does make you wonder 
why do we have markups this high and why are the markups going up each year? Another trend that we saw in the data. And I think when we talk to medical centers about markups, we're told, first of all, there's no malintent. This is simply the charge master software that inflates the bill. And second of all, don't worry, nobody pays these bills. Well, actually, through our research, we found many groups in America that pay these bills. Take, for example, the Amish community, who, as a part of their faith, believe in paying all bills in full and having no debt, even if the entire community has to band together dollar bills from the farmer's market to pay a marked-up bill. Uninsured patients sometimes pay these entire bills, while many don't pay the entire bill. Some find it their moral imperative to pay all bills in full. And finally, the out-of-network patient, which is a increasingly common patient in the United States. You know, you can go to an in-network medical center and get all kinds of -of out-of-network care. And many times that out-of-network care is inserted without any consent by the patient. That is, you have no idea that the pathology lab reading your, uh, say, cancer biopsy is an out-of-network pathology lab, or the anesthesiologist doing the cancer operation uh, is an out-of-network anesthesiologist, and on and on. So the out-of-network patient is increasingly getting hammered with these out-of-network surprise bills, and many times they're being asked to pay uh, five, six, or more times what any payer would pay for the identical bill. And so that's what we've seen in this research. And that's where we, I think we as a healthcare community need to come together and say, um, we need some degree of fairness in the marketplace. Look, healthcare is made up of good people, right? Good people go into the business of medicine. Good people go into nursing. Good people going, go into hospital administration. But there's something about the, the roles that almost um, influence one's perspective on the business of medicine and make them assume a role which in the end is not patient-centered, but it's really centered on the business model. And that's where I think we need to come together and say, look, we all went into medicine out of some degree of compassion, either to manage hospitals or to provide medical care or any aspect of the healthcare system. Can we focus on what's important and what's, um, what, what is fair to patients? And so you had mentioned the narrow networks, um, the out-of-network costs, excuse me, which is a result of those increasing narrow networks. Other than that, is, did you find anything about which specific hospitals were having higher markups and um, if they catered specifically or typically to certain patient populations um, compared to the hospitals that had lower markups? <laughs> you know, Laura, it's almost as if I wish we did find a strong correlation as to the hospital characteristics that had the higher markups. Well, in fact, what we found was that it was almost random which hospitals had the highest markups. And that was even more concerning because instead of identifying a pattern that could be explained, what we found is that it was almost haphazard how bills were marked up. And um, it could be a hospital with a great brand it could be a hospital that's big, could be a hospital that's small, 
uh, could be a hospital that's nonprofit. There were almost no indicators um, of where the markups were most egregious. And that means that for patients, they're flying blind. And that's the concern that we have is that when you have cancer, you are at a vulnerable time in your life. Uh, I'm a cancer surgeon. And I can tell you when patients come to see me, their primary emotion is that they are just terrified. And how can they possibly navigate this markup system? And can we somehow say that a markup is fine if it's within a reasonable range, but when it's 10 or 15 times the Medicare allowable amount, it's just price gouging. It's, it's no longer a, an inflation. Uh, it's, it's gouging. And I think that's where we need to stop and say, let's look at this trend of markups over time. Let's look at how it's gone from one to two times the Medicare allowable amount to 10 to 15 times. And can we say, is there an end in sight and what can we do about it? So you just used some interesting language. You said price gouging. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you about was the language being used. I saw you speak last year at the AHIP National Health Policy Conference, and you had mentioned that the healthcare cost crisis is partly a vocabulary crisis because the language is being used to shift the problem. Can you explain that a little bit about the language issue going on and what should the language change to? We have a vocabulary in healthcare that can mask problems. And the language that we have uses a vocabulary that can sterilize otherwise horrible issues. So, for example, David Goldhill has mentioned that if you tell somebody that petroleum futures are increasing, it doesn't really bother you. But if I tell you gas prices are going up, then all of a sudden it hits home. And I think in healthcare, we have that same sort of sterile lexicon that almost washes these problems and keeps them distant from us as if they're policy problems and they're not market problems. So, for example, in healthcare, we call things instead of medical mistakes, we call them preventable adverse events, right? And instead of calling um, something a, a markup, our lexicon in the literature has called it a charge-to-cost ratio. Now, a charge-to-cost ratio doesn't sound nearly as scary as a markup. And when we've seen unnecessary medical care in the field of health screening, we tend to call it you know, health screening and not predatory medical care. If it's against the CDC Preventive Services Task Force guideline, I would argue that some of the screening that we see is predatory. I mean, we've seen a trend of screening in communities of things which should not be screened for. So it's a question of how do you describe what's happening in the marketplace? And I would argue that when a patient with an illness walks into a hospital, a nonprofit institution, and is in need, is sick or ill, and is cared for, and then the hospital turns around and shakes the patient down for 15 times what the Medicare allowable amount is without disclosing to the patient what that Medicare allowable amount is, I would argue that that is predatory medical care, that that is price gouging in the marketplace. And I think if we can call a spade a spade, 
it becomes a whole different healthcare marketplace. How do you describe the fact that hospitals now are using some dirty collections agencies? I mean, that's, that's something that we've seen many hospitals protest and say, we're not going to go there. But other hospitals have gone down that road of using dirty collections agencies. How do you explain the fact that one in five Americans currently has medical debt in collections? How do you explain the fact that hospitals, which are tax-free institutions because they serve a public good, are suing patients and garnishing their wages from McDonald's because they're not paying a bill that's 10 times more what they would receive from any other payer? Is that price gouging? And I think if we call a spade a spade, we can identify practices in the marketplace where any reasonable person, anyone who went into the business of medicine or nursing or medicine to help people out of a sense of compassion would say, this is, system has gone too far. And I, and I think when you get reasonable people together and you look at the history of how we ended up with markups as egregious as they are in certain pockets of the marketplace, they will acknowledge that this is not malintent, but instead this is simply the byproduct of a billing system that's sort of spun out of control. That is the game of, apply, of offering discounts to payers off of the top bill and then just inflating the bill a little further uh, the next um, revenue cycle or the next year is, is really a game. And this is a game that's expensive. It's a game that, quite frankly, is exhausting. And it's a game that itself costs more than the money saved many times. So can we look at a bill that's 10 or 15 times higher than what we believe the hospital's true cost to be based on the fact that they accept Medicare at the Medicare allowable rates and simply say, Nobody intended it, the system, to get this bad. This unfairly affects vulnerable patients like cancer patients and patients who are out of network unknowingly and people who are self-pay and people who are, as a part of their Amish faith, paying bills in full and good faith and actually say, we can fix this problem. And in fact, there's a lot of disruptors now saying we can move to more reference-based pricing. So is reference-based pricing one of the solutions for this? Um, what other, how can this be fixed? You said, you know, we get the right people together that want to do good. What can they do then to fix this and to address the issue of markups and the financial burden that they're placing on patients? Well, it's pretty amazing what Healthcare Blue Book and other companies are, are doing. If you look at uh, Fair Health and some other companies that offer reference-based pricing benchmarks, it's remarkable how it is disrupting the marketplace. Uh, transparency is a, is a powerful disinfectant. And what we're seeing is that um, when an employer or a TPA is able to look at the markup ratios of different providers and then some measure of quality, which is um, an area of of the market where I've been actively involved in uh, with my background in the science of quality measurement, 
what we're starting to see is that employers and TPAs are able to make choices based on value, not just price. And value has been elusive and something that people who conference surf just talk about. But now it's actually turning into something in the marketplace that is highly measurable with a new series of appropriateness measures. I'm involved in a group of appropriateness measures through a group called Oliver Wyman, an initiative called Practicing Wisely, where hundreds of appropriateness measures are put into the marketplace to evaluate the appropriateness of back surgery, knee surgery, cardiology care, oncology services, uh, prescription drugs, opioids. And we have never really had measures of appropriateness before in the marketplace. Now that we, the science of quality measurement has matured and we have measures of appropriateness and we have the prices so we can tell what the markup is, for the first time, we can actually measure value in the marketplace instead of talk about the concept of value. And I think that's a real leap forward right now. And it's exciting. It's disrupting the marketplace. I mean, look what Healthcare Blue Book has done. They've been able to incentivize patients to pick high-value doctors by paying them sometimes and guiding people. Now, no one's saying you, you have to go to this doctor or you have to go to that medical center because the markup is more reasonable. Instead, what they're saying is, look, you have the same freedom of choice that you had in your network before we give you this incentive. But if you happen to choose the high-value doctors, we're going to provide a financial bonus uh, to, to drive that marketplace. And so we've never seen that before in healthcare. And it's, I think it's a real exciting time, Laura. That sounds really interesting. And I have to ask, practicing wisely, is it at all connected to choosing wisely? It is not connected to choosing wisely, although practicing wisely is a big fan of choosing wisely in the sense that choosing wisely did a tremendous job raising awareness about unnecessary medical care. And the next logical step after the success of choosing wisely has been, how do you take a lot of those concepts and actually disrupt the marketplace? And the folks that run practicing wisely are trying to do that since they already work with health systems and payers. And they basically said, here are some appropriateness measures. You can apply this in your data and identify where the waste is in your spend. And many of these appropriateness measures I've advised on uh, some of them, they, in a real smart way, identify specific clinical scenarios that no one else has ever really elucidated and looked at how commonly a doctor does something or doesn't do something with respect to the expert consensus range of where they should be. For example, nobody should be giving 60 opioid tablets after every C-section that they perform. That's a waste of money and it's dangerous and it leads to long-term addiction and the costs associated with dependence. These are all highly measurable things now with, with these appropriateness algorithms or the so-called waste measures as they're known in the marketplace. So um, I'm very, I was very excited to see the success of uh, choosing wisely in so many areas. It's been a model. It's been a game changer in healthcare. Um, I thoroughly disagree with the criticism that it's not had a big enough 
impact. Changing the culture of medicine is hard, and they did it. They succeeded. And, you know, I had a very small part in my professional association at SAGES, uh, one of the surgical associations. But um, it is, it is, cha- it has changed the culture of medicine. And I think if you look at the results of a national survey that our group did at Johns Hopkins, asking doctors in the, in the United States, what percent of medical care is unnecessary? You know what the average answer was? 21%. It's published in PLOS One. It's on the Lown, uh, Lown Institute website. This is a study that people are starting to cite now to say, look, if doctors are saying that one-fifth of all medical care is unnecessary, we need to start paying attention. That's where the solution is to our healthcare cost crisis is. That's where the opportunity is to lower the burden of these crushing premiums on everyday Americans. You know, I'm often amused at the politicians. They blame each other for these rising healthcare premiums. The real driver of healthcare premiums is unnecessary medical care. When you've got a doctor saying that one in five things we do on average is unnecessary, and you've got this study from Washington State that came out recently that said that up to 45% of all testing is unnecessary. That's where the opportunity is to lower the cost of healthcare. Thank you so much for your time today. This was a really good conversation. And um, obviously, the issue is going to be ongoing as we try to find new solutions for addressing this. So thank you for the time today. Laura, great to talk to you. Dr. McCary's analysis can be read in the February 2018 issue of the American Journal of Managed Care, which can be found at AJMC.com.